We're happy to have this episode sponsored by Real Mushrooms. You probably already know about some of the great benefits of adding mushrooms to your diet, like better sleep, greater mental clarity, and a stronger immune system, but not all mushroom products are equal. Real Mushrooms is the real deal. Many mushroom companies harvest the mushroom and the grain it's growing on. Real Mushrooms products contain no grains or starch fillers. They're organic, cultivated naturally, and third-party verified for beta-glucans, the compound that makes them so valuable as a supplement. They even have a science and medical team of doctors who ensure that Real Mushrooms meets the highest standards. What I personally love is how informative their website is. Have questions about what mushroom is right for you? They have a robust blog with articles ranging from women's health to what mushrooms are most beneficial to your pet. Want to boost your immune system? Have better sleep and feel more calm? Grab the link in the show notes and get 25% off of your first order. Curiously enough, acupuncture is not just sticking needles into people. It's part of a coherent and observation-based medicine that experienced practitioners of the art have handed down over the centuries. I'm Michael Max, your host and guide of Everyday Acupuncture. Listen in as we explore how you can apply the principles of this ancient medicine in your everyday life. This episode of Everyday Acupuncture is sponsored in part by the Seattle Institute of East Asian Medicine. Seattle Institute has been training exceptional clinicians since 1994. The program at Seattle Institute represents a modern take on the age-old model of apprenticeship training. One experienced teacher working with a small group of students focused on the clinical interaction with a patient. Using this approach not only provides students with the highest level of clinical training available today, it also grounds the program in the traditional methodologies used for centuries in the training of medical professionals. Seattle Institute of East Asian Medicine is accepting applications now for the master's and doctoral programs beginning in September 2018. For more information, go to www.siom.com. Edu, or visit the show notes page for this episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Everyday Acupuncture. I'm really happy today to have Chad Connor with me. Chad is uh, vice president over Pure Ratios. It's a company that does CBD products, both from hemp and from cannabis. If you're a listener to Cheological, that's the show for the profession, then you probably have already heard the interview that Chad and I did on not just the use of CBD for medicinal purposes, but more specifically, how we can look at it and think about it and use it from the Chinese medicine perspective. It's a really fascinating interview. So especially if you're a practitioner, go check it out over there. Today, our topic is different. Today, we're going to be talking about acupuncture, acupuncture clinics, acupuncture schools in a place that is not in the United States. Today, we're talking about acupuncture in Morocco. This is going to be great. Chad, welcome to Everyday Acupuncture. 
Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah, it's wonderful to talk to you again. I had so much fun yeah. when we uh, had our conversation over on Sheological. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me again. So you're a guy here in the United States. You're an American. Yes. And yet you spent a long time over in Morocco. Yeah, I did, actually. Yeah, I spent actually 13 years over there. And we actually with my wife and I, my wife is Moroccan. She was born in Casablanca. And we met in acupuncture school here in San Diego. And we actually ended up after five years of practicing here in um, San Diego, we decided to give a try to North Africa in, in Casablanca, Morocco, where we had our clinic. And I ended up staying there for 13 years. What was it that lit the fire under you guys to go do that? That's a little bit unusual. Yeah, it's a great question. So really, it was several different reasons. One in particular was, you know, I, I was one of the youngest people at the time that graduated from the um, Pacific College of Oriental Medicine, where I went here in San Diego. I was 24 when I graduated. I decided to um, study acupuncture when I was a junior in high school. Actually, um, I, I had a good friend that he was uh, he was born in India and he lived in France and uh, he introduced me to Tai Chi and Qigong. And so at when I was 17, I started doing this um, for myself and I discovered that energy existed. It was a huge revelation for me as a as a young man to realize this whole system that comes from the East was actually actually existed. And at that moment, I decided to do acupuncture. So I finished, you know, I went to two years of junior college, then I went to four years, finished um, quickly, so about a six-year period. And then I practiced here for five years in San Diego. And the problem I had was I was very young. Um, and as you know, there is no jobs for an acupuncturist. So I had to create my own private practice. And I, I wasn't at the place, as I look back on it, to really feel the confidence to really build a practice and put myself out there and and say to everyone how great I was when I just got out of school. So after four years of trying different things, uh, I said to my wife, either I do something else or we go somewhere that it's going to be more viable to do acupuncture. And so we decided to go to Morocco. That was really the thing that pushed us. Wow. You know, I know there's a lot of people in the States, similar position to you. And, and really, whether you're 24 or 44, for that matter, when you graduate, you know, when we first get out, it's like, oh, my God, how do I build a practice? Yeah. You know, especially if you don't have a background in business and, and that sort of and, and, and it helps to have more clinical experience. But, right. you know, a lot of folks will just go to like to a smaller town or they'll go to a part of the country where there's not that many acupuncturists. I mean, San Diego, that's, uh -huh. you know, it's a little bit saturated there. Yes. Yeah. So you guys decided to ramp it up and take it abroad. I, I want to ask you more about that in a moment, but I want to I want to come back sure. to something here that you said about doing some qigong and taiji and things like that. And you discovered that there was this whole system of qi of energy that really existed. Yeah. All right. So I, I want to dig into this for a moment. Sure. Because you know the idea of qi is a really interesting idea. And a lot of people have this really heady, I wouldn't say understanding, but let's say a heady conception of what that might be, because we're talking about, I'm using air quotes here, energy, which can get pretty woo-woo, you know, and, and like very disembodied very quickly. It sounds like you had an experience of something embodied. 
I did. Uh, actually, the add to this time frame in my life, I met my first, I would say my first spiritual teacher at the same time. He was actually a, a more of a psychologist and he studied, um, you know, different spirituality. So he, at the same time in working with him, he opened me up to Eastern philosophy, which for me was also a, pr- a big revolution in my life. And he did something he called energy work, where he would place his hands on different parts of my body. And so I would feel this energy moving. And then with the Tai Chi and Qigong, I started feeling the energy system in my body. And it was really like a, um, like I would say a hand in a glove for me, where it really opened my mind to the system of energy. And I said, at that moment, I said, wow, what could I do to study this for the rest of my life? Because it was really coming from the West, coming from this real linear, you know, Cartesian thought process, the scientific, I was like, oh my God, there's this whole nother world out there. So that was really the thing that that opened me up. Um, and then I studied with a person, his name was Sherke Lu. He was an old Taoist uh, monk that came here. He was in his 70s. And uh, he's the one that initiated me to Tai Chi and Qigong. And so for me, being around him, this really wise man that seemed like he was 30 and he was in his 70s, he actually had a, a daughter that was eight years old and he was, I think, 75 at the time. So it was just this kind of openness of, of this possibility. And that's really what guided me to actually visit the school at 17, meet with the counselors, started getting treatment. And then I decided that that's my path. Okay. That's, that sets the stage for some questions I'm going to have for you later. All right. So close the clinic in San Diego. Yeah. Off to Casablanca. Man, that's, yeah. wouldn't that make a great blog post? you know Casablanca is a very or Morocco in general is a very interesting place Um, the thing for me that was really exciting is when I was here in San Diego and seeing the profession it was it was as if all my teachers they they were in this real revolution of bringing I'm going to say a new system of thought and a new medicine to the west and so my teachers were these people. They they started the school. They they had that vision. They were these real pioneers. And when I graduated, my feeling was it was not at the up of the arc. It was more at the place, as you were mentioning before, there was a saturation. It was already in the news. It was already something that was established. And so especially being in California, right, with all, everything that you can have access to here, it was like it was it was not this upward growth, in my opinion. It was more this, it was established um, profession where in Morocco, as you can imagine, it was something revolutionary for the country and for the people. So this 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 ability to really, in a sense, guide a country on something that was so passionate in to me was really the thing that was this rewarding process because we were the first I'm going to say um, integrative clinic or wellness clinic in Morocco. Um, We had, we, we ended, it ended up getting extremely big, but the thing that was really interesting for me is within six months of being there, I had a full practice, Wow! which was just this, uh, you know, for me as a young practitioner, as having some situations where I was not successful, it was a real opening for me to really learn the medicine. And, And that's what happened. Yeah. We really do learn it by doing it. We do. It's an art. And it's really, you know, and for me, that's what I, I saw that, that I'm, I'm like an acupuncture point, And it's, it's really unique as me. 
And it, it is an art where you have many different people that do paintings, but every style is different. Acupuncture, for the people that don't know, is an artistic form. And it's really, uh, in a sense, um, at least this is my experience, is we become a channel of the energy that I felt when I was 17. And we're able then to, with our own intention and our own, you know, in a way it's this mysterious thing, and maybe you know this as an acupuncture, it's the more confident I am in what's going to happen, the more it happens. Well, there's also this piece of there's, you know, there's this, well, let's just call it chi, because that's what we call it. Correct. And, and in some ways, it's sort of undifferentiated. And as it becomes more and more manifest, it becomes more and more differentiated. And then as, it, as you work with somebody, whether it's an acupuncturist in a patient, a, you know, a, a conventional doctor, two people having a marriage, I mean, however you want to phrase that, you know, when there's relationship, there's something that comes through that has your own unique signature to it. Yes. Yeah. And this is what I would tell my patients. It doesn't really matter in a sense what modality you're choosing. You have to have you know, your practitioner where you're feeling in connection, you feel in confidence, and there's this kind of magical thing that happens between, as you mentioned, even a Western medical doctor. You can have this. It doesn't matter what, you, what you're doing for me. And this is something that came with time, you know, as treating a lot of people and seeing, you know, and through experience and through hands-on um, you know, practice that this thing opens. And it's very mysterious. Like you said in the beginning, chi energy can be looked at as this really etherical, you know, kind of foo-foo thing. But as you get into it, you realize it is it is the movement of the universe. Mm. Yeah, and that movement took you to uh, Casablanca. I, I don't know anything about Moroccan culture. And I'm, is there something in the culture, something in the background there that has an idea about chi? Is there a traditional medicine or, or, or like a folk medicine? And, and I'm wondering how acupuncture and Chinese medicine sort of hooked up with all that or didn't. You know, it did. It absolutely did. But it was an interesting process. When we got there, um, our, it was interesting. The first, I'm going to say, three years of time, it, our practice was about 70% foreigners, and particularly French, because mm -hmm. as you might know in the history of Morocco, the F French was a protectorate where they came in and they ruled the government. It was about a six, 50, 60 year period of time. And so there was a lot of French um, people living in Morocco. So when we got there, that was our practice, about 70%. And I'm going to say 30% Moroccan. And the interesting thing is, is as we were there and as people heard about it and as they got educated through what we're doing, and Morocco is an interesting place where it's really word of mouth because it's a culture that I can relate to Mexico in the economic sense or in Brazil, where it's not necessarily a third world country. It's more of a second world country, but it's really, you know, the, the higher class, which is I'm going to give about maybe 7% of the population actually has enough money to come and see me. Um, we did treat a lot of low income also, but at the beginning, obviously, it was somebody that had a certain income. And so the French came because they were educated on what acupuncture They have was. a long history of using acupuncture, longer than we do in the United they have States. They very long history. And, and that's a, a, another conversation to have around, because I got really connected to French acupuncture. Mm -hmm. Um, and as we go into the store, we opened an acupuncture school that was um, a part of a big part of the curriculum was French acupuncture side, which is a very 
fascinating acupuncture style. So yes, yeah, so there's a huge thing with the French. So that was the beginning of our practice. And after about three years, it, it flip-flopped. Where It was about 70% Moroccan and 30% foreign. That is significant. So there was this flip-flopping. Yeah, it was very significant. And, and as I was mentioning, it's really word of mouth where the, the people that have enough income that are educated as part of the, the social class there, they talk to each other. So the, the word of mouth is, was really, we never advertised, never. Um, it was all word of mouth. Can you tell us a little bit about the traditional medicine of Morocco, what that looks like, what and and also, I mean, do people in Morocco come looking, you know, like for a cure? I mean, here we're always looking for the cure. Fix this thing. It, it doesn't matter if it's connected to the rest of me. Just make this thing that's bothering me go away. Do they look at it from that perspective as well, or, or are they looking at it, you know, much like the Chinese would look at, it, especially traditionally with a more holistic perspective? So that's a, that's a great question. So the 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 patients that came to me, I'm going to say their grandparents lived a very different life. In Morocco, in the time I was there, there was a huge change. But in the last, I'm going to say, 50 years, there has been a huge change of a very traditional culture being very much influenced and in turning to the West. And you can see this in any country like this. But Morocco in itself is is a very tribal mm-hmm. culture. So it's, an, it's a melting pot. So you have the Berbers. The Berbers are the traditional um, population that lived in North Africa. And then you have more of the Arabic Muslim influence that came from Andalusia. Andalusia was Spain in a big part of Europe in North Africa. And this was ruled by the Arabic, by the, the Arabic nations for, for many years. And so you had this influence that came to North Africa. And so what happened is you have a very interesting melting pot. For example, you have three different major Berber populations that have a completely different dialect that can often not even understand each other in the same country. And then you have the really strong, um, you know, Islamic, uh, Muslim, Arabic culture that's there that has a long tradition. Uh, An example is the first university of the world is in Fez, um, which is a very traditional part of Morocco, which is is the um, biggest, I'll say, city with no streets. It's a walking city. It's a giant city that has no roads. So it's a very interesting melting part in Morocco. And it has this very tribal, shamanic, underlying part of the culture that's still there. But then if you look at it today, and I'm going to say it's in every corner of the streets, particularly in big cities like Casablanca, Marrakesh, and Fez, there's a pharmacy. It's like... um, it's incredible to see how many pharmacies there are. So again, turning to the West is turning to this great medicine that's Western medicine. And you're going to, I think we've seen this in every culture, in any, you know, evolving, developing culture. So there's this kind of split where in a sense that they have it in their, Moroccans in general have it in their blood, this traditional, their grandparents grew up with it when they were younger. A lot of them in, I'm in my forties, for example, my wife, she grew up with herbal medicine as part of the way she grew up, but then there's this turning to the West. So we kind of, I'm going to say, saw both. Um, so it's this kind of interesting uh, dynamic and split that we fit in as acupuncturists. Yeah, you know, it reminds me a little bit of the time that I spent in Taiwan, where you've got really traditional culture. Very, I mean, very traditional culture. So like at the new moon and the full moon, there's tables set up outside, there's offerings, there's incense, they burn ghost money. And 
you know, right next to whatever, you know, whatever shop is doing that is like a cell phone store, right? And next to that is right. a 7-Eleven. Yes. And next to that is, you know, an herbal pharmacy. Very similar, extremely similar and very tribal and cultural where the tradition is very important, but there's this split. I, I'll give an example of, of my wife. She she was born, her parents are Moroccan, um, their mother tongue is Arabic, but she went to French school. So her real language is French. So, you know, there's this, even this, this I'm going to say, split between her and her parents. Um, but they all speak French, of course, but th they're more comfortable in Arabic where she's more comfortable in French. So I really saw this dynamic that existed in that culture, especially when there's this, you know, influence from the West, as if a lot of African countries had you know, Spain, England, or France that came over and took over the country. In terms of what people would come in with, you know, here in the States, a lot of people think acupuncture is just for musculoskeletal pain. Right. You know, we know it treats a lot more. Sure. People that have a more traditional Chinese background know that it treats a lot more. What kinds of health concerns did you tend to see and did that shift over time? Wow, very interesting question. So, um, you know, it shifted over time, but it shifted over time because my own personal evolution as a healer. <laughs> so I can look at it more that way as you pose the question. Um, but overall, I, me personally, I had a, a very um, eclectic practice. I would call, consider myself a general practitioner. But over time, I really specialized in the emotional, psychological side of our, our arts, because for me personally, what I saw over time that any chronic condition, um, the majority of them that came in had this emotional, um, psychological base to it. And as you know, and for the listeners, uh, Chinese medicine says the all internal disease comes from emotion. And for me, this phrase is not something that's been unpacked enough, I think, in modern uh, Chinese medicine. So for me personally, in my own spiritual and psychological and emotional development, I, I, you know, been in spiritual paths forever. I really incorporate that into my practice. So when I had a patient come in, I, at the first session, I saw, I could see why they were coming in. Um, so half of my practice was more technical acupuncture and I specialized in Japanese acupuncture. So it was very technical. I would take four patients an hour. And then the other half of my practice would be one-on-one -on -one for an hour where I would do acupuncture and something I called process work, where I'm going to open up the emotional side, the story behind their disease or their condition, and unpack it that way with them on the table doing acupuncture. And for me, this was the real heart of my work. And this is my own process of what I enjoyed to do as a healer. So I saw both, but I saw a, a really eclectic. I saw a lot of people coming in as their last stitch. You know, this is the last thing they were, they had a very chronic disease and nothing worked. I had people come in that was the first time they, they wanted to do it for prevention. So I can say I had a very um, balanced practice, but it tended to be, I would say majority musculoskeletal. But not by a lot, but that was that was a big part of the practice. So your I mean, it's great, you know, hearing your story around this, because I think we all grow into kind of who we are as a practitioner over time. Right. You know, and I know people that are like they're they're like the sports acupuncture guys. 
and you know they treat elite athletes and and they're really looking at that body level sinews and in meat level and then there's the folks like you who are looking at especially chronic disease or long-term issues that that kind of resolve and kind of don't but they linger it's the things that linger yes and uh so when you when you do this process work mm-hmm. How do you invite people into that? Most people are coming for acupuncture. Yes. They may not realize that they're getting into something. I'm not going to call it psychotherapy because we we don't do psychotherapy. But we do work with the psychoemotive aspect of people in a therapeutic way via, you know, a whole system that we've studied in school that allows us to, to interact with these other parts of people. How do you invite people into that kind of work? It's a great question. So, so the the system I, I I've uh, helped patients with is a system of inquiry. It's open ended inquiry into what's here in the moment. That was really the base of everything I did. And so, when a patient came in, I would describe what it is. And the interesting thing is, with time, I would know right away. You know, it's kind of when you when you've seen enough people, and I've treated thousands and thousands of people. I would know right away what their soul or whatever you want to call that underlying thing, what brought them in. And so right away, I would, if I saw that, I would open up and say, let's do a, a session. It's called a private session. And I'm going to stay with you for an hour. We're going to do acupuncture. We're going to explore your relationship to what's happening. And I got, I would say nine times out of 10, they would say yes. Uh, because in then after time, obviously people knew that I had this as part of my practice. They would even ask for it. You know, can I have mm-hmm. this type of session? Um, and then really, you know, something you said brought something that was really key around this is what I realized was a lot of people that had chronic disease, they were identified with their disease. It was a part of their sense of who they were or sense of mm-hmm. self. And so without them realizing what the disease gave them, it both on a positive and when we don't get a lot of positive attention, the negative one. Also, we go for right as you probably know. It's it's there's positive merging with or connection. There's negative, but we need either one, and it depends on how we grew up with our own parents. And so this was really something that really guided the session, right? This inquiry and this this um, also their their identification with their own disease. And so what would happen as they saw this? As they were aware of it, you know, what I would always tell my patients is if you're aware that if you touch a pan on the stove, it burns you, what happens? You never touch it again. But are you doing anything was always my question. And actually, when you see the truth, you stop doing something that hurts you. And so this was really my main technique is to bring awareness through open-ended inquiry and questioning to understand what is my identification or my relationship to my chronic disease. And it was incredible what happened when they realized this, the the disease would get better. (laughs) Simple as that. Yeah, it's a really curious thing. I've seen this too. and, And I suspect any practitioner, regardless of what you're practicing, has seen it as well. Where people will come in and and they'll tell you their diagnosis or what they think their diagnosis is or what their official diagnosis is and then what they think is going on. And and there often is a very – there's an attachment to it, just like there can be an attachment to certain medications, even if people don't need it. I've run into patients they have got issues with sleep 
And even though they may not take the sleep medication, they like to keep it on the nightstand just in case, right? So there's all these little ways that we, you know, we get connected into something. I'm curious, you know, we have this tradition in East Asian medicine Mm -hmm. of looking at emotional, psychoemotive issues through the lens of the five elements. Right. Is, was this a, piece of your inquiry or did it go in a different direction it absolutely was yes and actually it's interesting you bring that up what it led to was what i noticed is one-on-one was very powerful but in groups it was even more powerful so what it what our practice involved into because we we really ended up being kind of how i i called it was an acupuncture point in the middle of a city that has five million people with, you know, honking of the horn all day long, very, um, you know, the driving was extremely aggressive. There was this kind of aggressive feel in the city and we became an acupuncture point. So we became in a sense, a community center. So in that, what I realized my wife and I is by treating groups and doing what we would call wellness retreats or retreats around, um, we had another one where we called more personal development retreats and we tied it all to the five elements. Um, where I would tie in, you know, different psycho-emotional issues with the five elements that we would explore in process with treatments and in groups. And this for me was really the most powerful. We'd go about four days into the mountains or in some secluded place. We would take over a small little um, bed and breakfast and we would have everybody live there and we would do a process. And and so this became even more powerful where we could treat, you know, more than one person at a time and have that whole group movement. And so that became connected to the five elements. And as you know, in five element acupuncture, it's really the one that explains the most in the psycho-emotional spiritual realm of Chinese medicine, at least today. You know, there are other aspects. We're going to get a little technical here, but I, I think folks are going to be able to follow us. So we've got these interesting concepts in Chinese medicine. And, and honestly, I think even as acupuncturists, we barely understand them. There, there are things that we think about. There are things that are in the back of our mind. I, I, I suspect it takes us a long time to noodle out what they actually are. But it's, it's the three treasures of Jing, Qi, and Shen, right? Spirit, Jing, no, no, yep. uh, essence, Jing, Qi, energy, and Shen, uh, spirit. Do you have any insights for us on those three treasures? From the work that, that you did, and especially the work that you did with groups, that sounds really powerful because, you know, certainly there's these sort of fields that we inhabit when we're in a group. One person could be having an experience, and it, it will actually help trigger something for someone else. Yes, it absolutely does. You know, that's a very interesting question. Um, what, how I look at what we call the three treasures, Jing, Qi, and Shen, or Essence, energy and spirit is really our um, alignment to our connection to the universal energy. So it comes to this philosophy that this this chi or this energy that's within us is everywhere. It's not, you know, it's it's obviously personal to me in my location, but it's also in the tree or in the, the TV or in the bed or in inanimate objects. It's everywhere. And so these three energies, the three treasures for me are really our three centers. So the three centers and how I would I would go into it is Jing is our belly center. The belly center is an energetic area of our body that we use if anybody's done martial arts. Uh, it's our Dantian. It's where it's our Hara in Japanese. 
acupuncture. And it's really our root. It's the lower belly around the navel, around the umbilical cord. You know, our, it's, and it connects us to the earth. And then we have the idea of chi. So chi is energy. And this lives in, um, if, if there's any acupuncture listening, in the middle jiao or in the, in the solar plexus area. And this is where our spleen and our stomach is. And for the listeners, spleen and stomach is really where we create our energy after we're born. It's our earth element, and it's in the middle, and this is the chi. And then the shen is our, you know, a little bit higher. It's more of our our heart center, or it's where a little higher up, where we have our emotional and our spiritual connection. So I looked at that as these as three centers, and we work with it this way. Mm-hmm. So you really look at it through the lens of the three jiao, the three yes, burners. Absolutely, uh-huh. and what that means on a physical, emotional, and spiritual level. Yeah. And it, and it has everything to do with like functions of the heart, both physical and psychological, down to how our guts digest our food and give Correct. us give us the energy that we need to create this life that we have. Yes, yes. Okay. As I recall, you not only had a clinic there, but you ended up doing a school. You ended up teaching. We did. Yeah, you spent something that's been you know teaching, and when we got into the retreats and. When, for me, I always, always loved teaching, and I, I always had this dream of having a, a training institute. So what happened was, when I looked at it, um, in, in Morocco, obviously, you know, as an as acupuncturist, also we get to a certain level where our practice is full, and then we continue wanting to evolve and grow. So I looked, how could I do a training institute? And this goes into also the connection with French acupuncture. So I looked at the French system, and obviously being over there, I had to learn French, which I did. And I started meeting French acupuncturists. And I started looking into the French system and how it's done, the educational side. And the interesting thing in France is the way it's done is it's a four-year program where it's a weekend a month for, for 12 months of the year for four years. So when I looked at that, I said, wow, that's something that could be feasible for me. You know, I had a full-time practice. And so one weekend a month I could teach. And I saw in France, there was a lot of the schools there that this is what happened. There was, you know, practitioners that had a lot of experience that ended up opening their own training institute or school. And they would have mm-hmm. one weekend a month for four years. So I looked at that system and I, and I, meant, uh, I met a French acupuncturist and we decided to start this school. And so what we did was the school was called Institute Wu Wei. And for the listeners, Wu Wei is a certain name in Chinese medicine that has to do with um, anything that comes along, we flow with. Yeah, lack, literally lack of effort, which doesn't mean nothing happens. It's, it's the opposite of nothing happens. It's things happen without effort. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really this idea that if we're present and if we're in our being, meaning here and now, um, Wu Wei is the way that we are going to flow with the present moment, right? So it's it's a for me it was a very beautiful concept. We called our school Institute Wu Wei, and what I did is it was a, a four year program, um, and so we opened it up, and we we actually had I think over time we had about twenty students graduate from our program. Um, the majority were Moroccan, which was great. We had some French also, and what I did is I ended up connecting with a school in France, which was one of the oldest ones. It was called Sphere. And we connected with them and we ended up doing a partnership where 
we also, our students could go to France and pass the national exam in France. They get their diploma recognized in the French system. And we had several students that did this. So that ended up being our school. Um, and it was, it was, that was a very beautiful, interesting process also, as you can imagine. So you went over there, in essence, to practice, to build a practice, to, to get your own chops down. Mm-hmm. And as time evolves, you actually create the new generation of practitioners yes. for that country, yep. the majority of which are Moroccan. So, yeah, I'm thinking back to the earlier part of our conversation, the respect that you have for your teachers who went out and did something that had never been done before right. and created something. And, and you have taken that and created that in Morocco. Now you're, you're back in the United States now. I am. And, and you're doing the CBD business. Mm-hmm. I'm curious to know how the time that you spent in Morocco and all the things that you did and all the things that you learned, how does that inform what you're doing today? Great question. Uh, how does it inform me? You know, it's really the base of what I'm doing today. I went from, you know, part of my story was, in the, and part of the reason I came back was after treating so many patients for that many years and having this real intensity around it, where for me, it came a point where work and life had no separation. Um, I didn't see that what I did as a job was anything to do with work. And this is an interesting dynamic because, you know, surprisingly to me, I I didn't have much limits and I ended up working quite a bit and it it didn't feel like work. You know, it felt like something I was very passionate. It was more of an exchange, a transmission of something that I was. But what happened over time is I realized that I got burned out um, Mm. as a practitioner. And it's just a lot of, you know, energy to hold over time. It was a lot of demand. There was a lot of people around. Um, You ended up being kind of this 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 figure in the community. And and I realized over time I did get burned out at that moment of really one on one and really patients in general. So this opportunity presented itself to go into more of a manufacturing around cannabis medicine, um, which was a really interesting change because as I was mentioning in Morocco, you know, when I went in and really to help mold a country and something that I was passionate about in natural medicine, the same thing I'm coming back here and doing with cannabis medicine because there's been this huge prohibition, this huge stigma and prejudice that I'm finding that's even often unconscious in our minds because we grow up, you know, in the generation where say no to drugs. We grew, we grew up in the Nixon generation where, you know, they talked about the negativity. But what I realized with this plant was I can actually create the same thing where I can bring it back in and really help natural health practitioners, which should be the holding the flag and the driving force of cannabis in our culture today to really come back in it and really help mold an industry it's becoming extremely large, and it's growing astronomically each year. Um, and it's it's an herbal medicine. Cannabis is an herb. It's not a single molecule pharmaceutical. And the interesting thing is who's using doing cannabis and driving the industry today are biochemists and MDs, which have nothing to do with herbology. You, uh, you've been lit up with this stuff for years. Yeah. That's so yeah, cool. Yeah. Chad, any other comments that you'd like to share with our listeners before we wind this down? Yeah, you know, I, I think maybe one of the comments to share is, 
I think for me as an American, going over to a, a Muslim country and, you know, kind of the stigma around that, you know, as, as Americans. I, and what I realized being over overseas is the sense of me and my own experience in growing up in a country as as powerful as United States and us not having a lot of contact with other countries and not necessarily the majority of Americans traveling abroad that we have this this projection or this ideal of idea of what it is and particularly in, in a Muslim country right and what I realized was the exact opposite I, I the country itself brought me in with open arms. I never, ever felt anything but a, a warm invitation as an American overseas, especially in Africa, in an Islamic country with all this tension. And I was there in the Arab winter where Tunisia, which is, you know, North Africa is called the Maghreb. You have Tunisia, Algeria, and Morocco. And the language is as a dialect of Arabic, and they understand each other. But if you go to, for example, Egypt, or if you go to Saudi Arabia, it's another dialect. They don't understand each other. So this is really, you know, this Maghreb, this, these three countries. And so Tunisia was the first one. I lived that experience when I was in Morocco, when this whole thing happened, the Arabic revolution. And I felt only love and invitation from the Moroccan people and being, being American. So I think this is something that for me was a real learning and transformation. And, and, you know, and I really want to share with Americans that it's maybe very different than our, and often it's an unconscious prejudice, you know, that we have that actually this, this warm welcoming of this culture. And, and for me, it was such a beautiful experience. Um, and we didn't go really in depth in the whole thing, but it was just, I'd just like to pass that on to the listeners that, you know, sometimes we may, we might have this idea of things and, you know, there would be, I would get a call from my mom, for example, and she said, oh my God, something happened in Morocco. It's in the news. Are you okay? And me living in Morocco, I wasn't even aware it was happening. It wasn't a big deal. But from her eyes, I needed to be careful. Does that make sense? You know, it totally makes sense. Having, having spent some time living over in Asia, there were the ideas that I had about Asia, most of which were completely wrong. There right. were the fears that my friends and family had. Again, completely uninformed but yes. you know we've all got our biases our, our ideas what we've got, gathered from movies or media or whatever and you get over there and you find out wow i'm not just wrong i'm completely wrong which can be very disorienting when you're in the process of adjusting to living there it is yes it is it's often so different abroad and until you go there and actually not just go there as a visitor but go there and you know put your boots down for yeah a period of time, it can be incredible. It's it's really one of the best educations I've ever had. Yeah, me too. It was very, very transformative. I'm a different person, of course, from that experience. Yeah. So that's that's something I would like to share to the listeners. Just, you know, it's just it was my experience, my personal experience. Um, but I think it's a very powerful message. Well Chad, it's Great to talk with you again. Thank you for joining us here on Everyday Acupuncture. I want to remind the listeners that if you want to find out more about what Chad is up to, go and check out Geological. It's uh, show number 19. We get deep into the uh, CBD situation and how it can be helpful. Yeah, it was a very pleasure to be here, Michael. Thank you for having me. I hope 
hope you enjoyed this episode of Everyday Acupuncture. If so, please take a moment, click on the iTunes review button, and leave a review of the show. And be sure to tune in again next week.